welcome to the Athlete Plus Network. It's the official podcast network of the Institute of Coaching Excellence, a research and education outreach center in the College of Health and Human Performance at the University of Florida. I'm Kevin Carr, CEO of Pro to CEO and industry professor at UF. And I serve as the host of the hit show, stands for How I Transition Podcast. This hit show is a podcast devoted to talking to the current and former athletes on and off the court, field, track, diamond, and the people behind the scenes who support these elite athletes, coaches, teams, organizations, associations, unions, you name it. Their stories help educate and empower our listeners to advance the profession of coaching, developing, and supporting athletes, current and former. Today will be an amazing show, let me tell you, because we have collegiate and WNBA great, and I mean the great, Rusha Brown. She's coming to us, I believe, from Atlanta today, but she's a little bit worldwide from everywhere. Before we get to show on the road, I want to give her her flowers and introduce her. Rusha was born in the Bronx. That's right. That's right. And she's raised in South Carolina. She ended up graduating from Somerville High and went into basketball in a big way. And we're going to express exactly in a big way. She made it from there to become a Lely Paladin. And from there, she was able to become an MVP in the Southern Conference and did multiple, multiple awards past that. She was one of the few to go into the WNBA and she ended up retiring, one of the top players to have played. And she went on and actually played several years in international basketball. So we're talking about a seasoned vet in basketball all over the world. She's transitioned and worked for multiple sports organizations as well as universities. And she's done so much. I don't want to steal her thunder. Please welcome the great Rusha Brown. Good morning, Kevin. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Welcome. So we don't jump into it wholeheartedly. We want to get to know you and just make sure we give you a sense to give our listeners your background. So give us a little bit. Who is Rusha Brown? The Rusha Brown that you meet today is a mother of an 11-year-old, a former professional athlete, a change agent. I am an advocate for our game, the women and the young ladies that are coming up behind us. I am a lover of all things music. I also am um, a person that wants to make sure that our world is left a better place, a better place. So I just look forward to all opportunities to help the people coming around me and behind me to find their best selves, whatever they're moving into. That's awesome. You know, we we jive in that space together because I'm big in the transition space and I know you are too. And we want to definitely get more into that. When we talk about what you have been doing. We also want to talk a little bit about, you know, growing up and how did you get to become Rusha Brown? What was it like growing up? And when did you know you could ball? You know how people say, when did you know you could really, really play, possibly get to levels like college and pro ball? Tell me when those things kind of hit. You know, growing up, I was a tomboy of sorts, but I never was interested in playing sports in my school. So I played football in the streets with my cousins. I, (laughs) you know, I did those type of things, but I never joined a team. So I didn't pick up a basketball until I was a high school sophomore. 
and it was a result of um my father passed away when i was a freshman in high school typical rebellious teenager i started getting into a lot of trouble and my family was trying to find something positive for me to get engaged with so i wouldn't go down the wrong path because i was showing those signs and once i started playing basketball i fell in love with it so i was tall i was semi-athletic but i was not skilled and so once i started playing the sport i learned that if i did the work i had control of how good i could be so as i watched my progress i started to be like hey this is something i could do but at the same time i knew that if i had any aspirations of going to college i was going to have to get a scholarship because we were poor before my daddy passed so after he left you know the income was just my mom so it was even worse than what it was with a two-family income i mean you know two um person income so, you know, I fell in love with the game and it eventually loved me back. And so that led me to, you know, by the time I got ready to leave school, I was the number two recruit in the entire state of South Carolina. And I had been dreaming of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I accepted a scholarship, which I later called Coach Hatchell and said, you know, I am not coming. I ended up going to Furman University. Wow. I see the look in your eyes, Kevin. You're like, <laughs> why would you turn down North Carolina? <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, don't no 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 nothing against you know Furman. Actually, I have roots in South Carolina, so go Paladins for sure. I'm good with that. No, it was just that I had never really gotten over the fact that I lost my father, and I was really close to my mom, so I didn't want to mm-hmm. go so far away from home because I wouldn't be able to come home. I wasn't going to have a car. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able to get on a plane to come back home, and. Honestly, because there was no aspiration for professional sports, I just wanted to get a good education. And Furman was as good as any. So I mm-hmm. said, I'll just go to Furman, get me a great education, play basketball, and then I'll you know, come out and get me a job. I love Greenville, though. Greenville's become quite the place, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I Amazing. actually uh, spent a little time, a little known fact, I helped the NBA build uh, a G League team in the league when it was in Greenville. Did you... Were you familiar with it at the time? I, yes. Excellent. I wasn't there then, but, you know, I was gone from Greenville, but I, I do remember it being there. Yeah. So when we talk about um, as a former player, you know, let's let's talk about when you were, excuse me, for former, like when you played, you were like brand new. The WNBA was literally just a few years uh, old, if not, you know, in this first five or so years or 10. Talk to us. What was the league like then? What were, what were you doing um, to grow the game? How was the game coming along, in your opinion, at the time? You know, Kevin, I actually got a chance to be a pioneer. I played on one of the founding teams. So I played with the Cleveland Rockers in yeah. 97 when the league first launched. So we were the ones that were setting the ground for what would now be 27 years later. Wow. And just the mindset of believing that we could be here in the States playing in front of our family was a blessing in itself and getting paid to do what we love, even though it was very little, we still just took pride in the fact that we were the chosen ones. You know, we had only eight teams of 12 players. So just imagine 96 women in the entire world chosen to be a part of a league that would represent the women, you know, under the NBA. So it was a great honor and a privilege um, I think every day we were figuring it out as we went, you know, like just trying to figure out what it looks like, where we're supposed to be, how we were supposed to act, what we were supposed to wear, just being the pioneers in that space. It was, it was a lot and there was a, a heavy burden, 
But as the years progressed, I think we learned more and just got over the fact because initially nobody thought the league would last. Mm -hmm. So it was just exciting to watch its growth and development. And then to watch it today is such an honor to know that we helped lay the foundation for the excellence that is seen today. Yeah, absolutely. I remember the the Rockers brand. It had a little silver, a little turquoise, a little guitar across the, <laughs> yeah, right? Okay. Yeah, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, absolutely. That's a good one, good one. Well, yeah, much uh, respect to you on that because in a way, you know, there was that struggle, you know, always having to go overseas and not being able to play at home and have an audience, all that was, uh, I really think, that literally the ground you laid allows so many people to enjoy, not just from a playing, but from the management and leadership and business and <clears throat> really all the other leagues, you know, get to see what a great league, uh, women's league is about and how you guys have built it. So thank you for putting in the work, as they say. So let's talk about what you see now, though. You've accomplished a lot and you you finished up and, you know, I want to move into your transition upon, you know, finishing, you know, a playing career overseas, too. We didn't even talk a little bit about that. You decided, you know, talk about when you decided to maybe play a little bit overseas and then you finally decided to transition your education, pursue an MBA. What was that like to do and where where as a female athlete was it? any different. I imagine the same loss, same challenge, all that. So talk to us about that. Well, the women's game is so different because the WNBA is played during the summer and the international season plays alongside the men. It corresponds with the NBA season. Mm -hmm. And because I am of a certain age, I actually played overseas <laughs> for three years before the WNBA even started. Oh, wow. And as I, I mentioned that. a little bit earlier, you know, professional sports wasn't my aspiration because there was no WNBA. So I just wanted to get my degree, get me a good job. And I remember as a senior at Furman, Coach Carter, you know, called me and she was like, Ruth should come up to my office at two o'clock or whatever time it was. And I got there and she was like, this guy wants to talk to you. He says he's an agent and he thinks you can play overseas. And I was like, what? Like, I've never even considered it. And as I listened to him, the opportunity to play internationally, to make money doing the thing that I loved, get a house, a car, and be able to travel the world. It seemed like a no-brainer. I wasn't the same little girl who turned down North Carolina to go to Furman because I didn't want to travel. Now I was ready to explore the world. So I got a chance to play internationally for three years. So I played a total of 10 years. So those three years prior to the W, and then seven years I played you know, at the same time. So I would play in the summer, then go overseas and come back, play in the summer, then go overseas. So I spent 10 years internationally where I played in Spain for two <clears throat> years, France for two, Italy for four, Greece for one and Korea for one. And I just honestly believe that that exposure while playing overseas just helped me to become the woman and the professional that I am. Because <clears throat> when you're immersed in somebody else's culture, it teaches you a lot about yourself you know, on the court and off. So I had amazing experiences. And then when the WNBA came into play after my third season, you know, that just taught me a lot also because I was having exceptional experiences overseas. I was the top ranked um, international player when I was playing in France, yet I wasn't drafted to a WNBA team. I wasn't invited to camp as a free agent. I actually had to walk on. Mm. 
because that first year of the WNBA, they allowed for each market to have open tryouts. You know, just marketing, they're trying to get everybody excited in the right. city, let be a part of the movement. And I was trying to get a job. So <laughs> I, um, I was constantly in contact with my agent about what I wanted to do. And she's like, Rusha, you know, they, you went to a small school. That North Carolina thing came back to bite me because mm-hmm. had I gone to North Carolina, I'm sure my name yeah. would have been on some of those lists. But yeah. everything worked out the way that it was supposed to. Mm-hmm. So I um, first I was living in Atlanta in the off season. So I traveled to Charlotte because it was the closest city to try out. Walk into a gym, there are 200 women trying out for two spots. Oh, that was a Charlotte Sting, right? That team. The Charlotte Sting, okay. absolutely. Okay. The Charlotte Sting mm-hmm. made it from 200 all the way down to the last six, and then wow. I got cut. Uh, and mind you, since I picked up a ball, I've never been cut from anything okay. in my life. So I didn't know how yeah, to wait respond. Wait a minute now. I was like, hold up, y'all see all this? I'm like, what y'all <laughs> doing? But it just really, you know, made me readjust and refocus. And the following weekend, I went up to Cleveland. My brother drove me to Cleveland mm. and I did it all again. And, you know, just a little more focus, a little more intensity. And I was able to make the practice team is what it was called then because oh, they wow. had 10 people on the team but you had two people that were practice players just mm-hmm. in case something happened and of course that's not what i went there for but mm-hmm. i was willing to take any opportunity to be a part of the team so by the time we got out of training camp the coach calls me in her office and she tells me rusha you've had an amazing training camp i'm going to take you off the practice team and put you on the regular roster and she took another young lady off the regular roster and made her a practice player so now I'm on the team. I'm excited. I'm calling my family and sharing, you know, I've made it. And then seven games in, she calls me back into her office. So, you know, now I'm like scared, like, oh, Lord, I'm about to get cut. Because, <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, that's what happens. Yeah. You know, you're coming into coach's office, mm-hmm. that fear factor. Yeah. But she just commended me on the hard work that I've been doing and told me, you know, we play L.A. on ESPN on Friday and I'm going to start you because I think you're the best matchup for Lisa Leslie. Oh, wow. Which is a setup because there is no best matchup for Lisa Leslie. <laughs> okay, let's get but let's keep it real, at right? Time, yeah, all jokes aside, but that just really helped me understand the benefits of my hard work and being persistent and figuring out what it was I wanted and being willing to work for it. So the game has just given me so much, and it's just taught me so much. Like I mentioned, both on the court and off. Yeah, well, shout out to Lisa. Definitely an amazing person. You and I both had some chances to work with her and she continues to do well. One of the things you mentioned or I'll kind of bring up here is you you talked about, you know, the multiple challenges in that. Like as a former player, you know, you've had to deal with some challenges when you finish, you know, what were some of the challenges you faced uh, once you transitioned? From playing, I mean, you literally had to do what? What what was happening and what did you have to figure out that was just like at the time just hard to to really grasp? Or maybe it wasn't for you. Maybe you had it all together. Absolutely not. (laughs) So in that transition, in that space, I think once you walk off the court, if you have not already put something into place, you kind of lose yourself because you've spent the majority of your life focused on being a top tier athlete. And when you get ready to transition, you don't know who you are without the ball. And not only did I not know who I was without the ball, everybody around me just still saw me as Rusha, the basketball player, as I tried to, you know, indulge indulge myself in in various um, aspects of life, trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. 
it was still Rooster the basketball player. You know, Rooster played the league. And that was what people referred to me as. And I continued to do things because that carried me for a little bit to get me into doors. But I didn't know how to leverage that. So the one thing that I knew is that I loved sports. I loved empowering our youth. So I started a, a basketball training company where I was working with kids. I started a nonprofit because I wanted to, you know, empower girls and young women. And I just kept working in that space. And as the years progressed, I just made sure I maintained relationships and just speaking to people that have done it. The NBRPA is where I went because I wanted to understand how we could help the sisterhood because I'd been in a celebrity game in Texas and found out that one of our sisterhood was homeless. So I was completely blown away by that. Like, how Mm. does that happen? And, you know, in that immediate moment, we all go in our purses and give her some money, but that's a a temporary fix. Mm -hmm. I want to figure out what do we do to help her? So I speak to the league. They're focused on the current players. I go to the NBRPA. At that time, they were only allowing the men in and the women didn't have a space in their organization. Mm. So uh, at that time, Charles Smith was the executive director. Mm-hmm. And he helped me to form an organization that would assist with transition for the women. Oh, wow. And it was just about providing resources. Granted, I didn't have money, but I had relationships. And so I could point you in the right direction. I could host events. I could do different things to help educate us when we were ready to transition and just give us all the safe space of knowing that you're not alone. So those were the things that were really important because I found that you know, the way that I felt when I was ready to transition, as I talked to my sisters, everybody felt the same way. Like nine out of 10 women would say the exact same thing. I feel like I'm alone. I don't know Mm. what I'm supposed to do. I don't know how to reach out to these people. And when we got in rooms together, we were all empowered because we didn't feel alone. So we shared our experiences and just figured out how to make it different for those coming behind us. That's excellent. You know, this partnership is in, um, this, this podcast in partnership with the university can't help but thinking the importance of education. You know, what would you tell anyone um, when you think about when people don't transition as well? Do you think education has a big part of that? And what would you tell today's athletes? You're seeing all kinds of new opportunities and we'll get into NIL particularly, but you know, why is it so important you think? You know, and it's funny because for me, education is of the utmost importance. And I don't think It's just because of what you're learning, but your ability to learn, Mm. your ability to be in spaces where you have to adjust your mindset and receive other things, your ability to um, integrate yourself within to different cultures and different spaces. The actual learning is what's important. I don't know if the context, because I will never use trig ever in my life, but learning how to manipulate my mindset so that I could make myself learn it will benefit me when I'm Mm. doing other things in this life. So I definitely feel like that education piece is of the utmost importance. And I think a lot of times the athletes overlook that. But what we have to understand is that being a professional athlete is the shortest career you'll ever have. And you'll spend way more time off the quarter field than you will on. So it's just really important that we maneuver accordingly. Because once again, like I said, the network that you can build as you're trying to develop yourself off the quarter field it's going to be what helps you thrive once you leave the game mm-hmm. or the game leaves you. Yep. You know, they separate you from the logos pretty hard as a player. So I, I know you have to be really, you know, you actually, in some sense, never separated. You know, you went 
into the front office at, you know, two WNBA franchises, you know, the Sparks and the Aces and, and beyond, you know, you've helped a lot of people talk about how, you know, you were able to, to get in the business of it as a, as a, as a former player. And what do you think is sort of that big difference on how you can stay kind of connected to the game in terms of the physical life after sports, but still have life in sport? You know, it's crazy because as a professional athlete, you spend so much time just being your top tier physically and not thinking about all the other things that make that game exciting for everybody else. Mm -hmm. And so I remember when I was playing, all I had to do was not all I had to do, but the most important thing was working out, keeping my body right, making sure my instrument was in the right place and mentally I was in a space to produce. Mm -hmm. As I retired and started, you know, seeking out these relationships, I learned about the different positions within the organization that were just as much, you know, important to the production of the game than the athletes were. You mm -hmm. know, your community relations, your PR, your business operations, your basketball operations, all of those things have to work together in order for the product on the court to be well received by the audience. So I was lucky enough to uh, participate in a program at the NBA, the crossover program. Oh, I, I did. I started that. We started that mm -hmm. when I was, yeah, that's yep. right. Yep. And so if you remember, I was the first woman to participate. Dang, you're taking me back. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how we connected initially. Yes. And so, mm -hmm. Because I remember calling the league. I was like, I want to figure out how I could still work with the women. You know, I still have you know? a picture of you and you are. I got to pull that out. Oh, my gosh. That's you. you truly I was the only are. one in the you room. You were the only one. You, Corey Maggetti, a couple other people. Mm -hmm. Wow. Dang. Yeah. You are so true. What a pioneer. I want to get that picture because it, it was a, a huge part mm -hmm. of my history and my transition. Because I had heard about it. And, you know, I'm friends with some of the NBA guys. And they were talking about it. And I was like, well, wait, I want to go. I want to be in like, the room. And they like, for the guys. And I was like, uh-uh, uh -uh. I'm going to ask. Y'all going to have to tell me no. <laughs> and, and you you know, you guys said yes. So I came and I sat in the room. I made sure that I spoke up when given the opportunity. I integrated with the men. And I just wanted to learn as much as possible. Yeah, you were and super in doing it was impressive. Thank I do remember you, you fit right mm -hmm. in and it was, didn't miss a beat. Mm -hmm. You were like dominating the boards and the boardroom, as we say. <laughs> oh, the board. Absolutely. So it, it later led to another opportunity where they had um, an apprenticeship. And so I went and did that. So I spent six months in the office in NBA and the NBA office in New York, where I did like half the time with the NBA and half the time with the WNBA. And it just helped me learn about all the different positions in the league that helps me stay close to the game. I didn't want to coach. I knew I wasn't playing anymore, but I wanted to be a part of the success of a team and the league. And that just led me to an opportunity. And I remember being in New York and I was like, okay, I don't like New York. Even though I was born there, I don't want to live in New York. I'm going to go back home and hopefully something pans out. And I literally, right before Christmas, got a call from Bill Lane Beer. Oh, and wow. I'd never played for or against him. And it was just weird to me that he was calling me and he told me, you know, I have an opportunity and everybody I asked, they say, you're the person that I need mm -hmm. because I've done so much work with assisting the women in their transition, developing mm -hmm. their brand off the court as well as on the court. And he just made it clear to me that he was trying to do something different and he wanted me to be a part of it. So I was excited. And that's how I ended up with the Las Vegas Aces going there 
for two years and then moving on to the LA Sparks for a couple of years before I moved back here to Atlanta. Oh, wow. Man, you're taking me back. I remember you were the like player brand and development. Like it was this title I had never heard before. I said, go ahead, Rusha. Because he created it. He created that position for me. There was not one like that in the league. And Bill was adamant about making sure that the women weren't just players. He mm-hmm. needed them to understand what they wanted to do off the court because he knew that transition would be difficult. So once you figure it out while your name is still hot, you mm-hmm. can make those relationships. And so that's what I was tasked with is just making sure that the women had an opportunity to uh, meet people in the field that they potentially wanted to go into, building out meet and greets where they could speak to people, just helping them understand how to uh, do media, helping them understand how to interview helping them understand what it looks like when you walk into a room, the eye contact, the handshake, doing the research so you can know how to ask the proper questions. You're breaking it down. Love that. Love that. I think I remember, was it true that the title had like player development and brand development or something? I remember that being, I had never heard that. I thought that was a very pioneer. Player development and brand management. See, you was doing it way before my brand is so big now. We're going to get into that. But before we get into that, I want to talk about, you know, you, you transition for playing, you transition into a bit of the business, but you also experienced, you know, a personal transition through motherhood. How, how did that change you and still being at the top of your game from a business perspective, but this amazing new responsibility, yet you understand the responsibility being to work on and a lot of women struggle in that space, how to become a top mom, top parent, but yet, you know, be at the top of my game in business. Talk to us about that. Yeah, motherhood definitely did an amazing job of my psyche, as well as my development as a woman, because I played and then I transitioned and I didn't have my daughter until I was 40. So I had lived a very self-serving life in the sense that every decision I made was about me. You know, whatever I wanted to do, I could pick up and leave at any minute. So when I had a daughter- Hold on, hold on. You just said you didn't have her till you was 40. My my goodness. You don't even look that now. So come on. This is really wild. You know the saying. I mean, you are literally (laughs) doing your thing. Congratulations. But yeah, now, so that's even another having a child late going into business world, still being able to be at the top of your game. Like, so talk to that. That's, that's, that's a really important factor because I think people struggle trying to understand that. Maybe you can give us some perspective on you were busy doing your thing, but you stopped and had a, had a child. I did. And I had accomplished a lot of different things. I'd started a few businesses. I, you know, partnered and just, I was doing what I loved. And then came along something that I loved even more. And I believe that having my daughter gave me an opportunity to develop because every decision I made was about making sure that she saw the right thing. You know, Mm, I wanted her to understand what it's like to be strong. I wanted her to know what it's like to be empathetic. I wanted her to be a leader. And the only way we can teach our children that is by being that. So being selfless. Instead mm-hmm. of selfish, you know, mm-hmm. so I was selfish in the sense that whatever I wanted, I could pursue it. But now I had to be strategic in doing so because I had to make sure she was taken care of first. Mm-hmm. So she put me in a position to want to work with young girls and women even more mm-hmm. because I saw the sacrifices that I had to make. I saw how people would look at me and judge 
based on, well, she was an athlete, so I walked into a room, and that's what they saw. And maybe we'll talk later, but I went back to school to get my um, my MBA mm-hmm. because I felt like every time I walked into a room, nobody took me seriously because they oh. just thought I was just an athlete. Mm-hmm. And in doing that, I wanted to show like, look, I've done the work. I'm prepared for any situation in the business world. And I did that even when I had my daughter. So I didn't have she was two years old when I uh, finished my degree. And it was a challenge because I was all over the place doing a lot of different things. And it just teaches you how to, I won't even say balance, it teaches you how to juggle and mm-hmm. just make sure you never drop the same ball twice. And those are one of the things, that's one of the things I learned, you know, motherhood taught me. I am being what I want her to see. Mm. And it means taking myself seriously and taking, you know, her mentorship seriously as her mother. Man, that's, that's I got to write that down. That's, that's a great insight. Even as a parent, it doesn't hurt to hear that and it makes you want to go out and sharpen your saw and be better so thank you for sharing that because that's 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 really um really important stuff so you you talk about business and you know being good at both you've done a lot like uh, when i think about it and 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 i'll just run it down you know women's professional basketball alumni serve calm hearts and hands catering Young Black Entrepreneur Magazine, all businesses you had a hand in starting or developing. You know, how has this helped you in developing, coaching people in their sort of what's next for them in their second act, if particularly athletes or even business people? How does that help? I think the best way to share experiences and to guide people is having had those experiences yourself. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to read a book and say, okay, this is what you're supposed to do. It's another thing to have lived that life, bumped your head, knocked your knee, stubbed your toe, made <laughs> some mistakes, and then be able to share it. Because I feel like the opportunities that I've had, I've made good decisions and bad. And that allows me to connect even more easily with other people because it's not just this mystery of excellence. It's like, yeah, I was a mess, but I figured it out. <laughs> and I can help you avoid some of those pitfalls if you're willing to listen and willing to learn. And so, and again, I think the thing that makes me most relatable is being able to share the things I did wrong mm-hmm. as opposed to only the things that I did right. That's awesome. Very, very well said. You know, you created a, a outlet, you, a outlet for youth and, and really, really tough times, you know, through your organization, BAWSC Girls. You know, can you share more about that? Yes. So our Boss Girls program is really about helping young ladies understand what excellent looks like. And so Boss is brilliant, ambitious, worthy, strong, and educated. Mm. So many times our young ladies are focused on their outside, yes. you know, and how the world sees them. But we mm-hmm. want to build their interior characteristics to help them understand that their excellence, it starts within. And then you shine and it even helps you look even better on the outside. So we look at a holistic approach on building out these young women. We talk about um, college prep, hygiene, uh, mental stability, financial literacy, how to be a good friend, confidence, like all the little intricate pieces that really help you to be successful that a lot of people won't talk about. Because they think it's just like, okay, you got to be a leader. You go to school, you get your lesson. No. How do you have conversations in tight spaces and difficult spaces? Mm. How do you express yourself? How do you elevate your voice without 
intimidating people. Sure. And understanding that, you know, sometimes people are intimidated, not because you are intimidating, but understanding how to read people. There's so many different things that we can learn that will put us at an advantage if we take the time. And I just really think it's important that we do that and give that to our young girls. Well, you also did a solid and you championed another program called the Man Academy. Now, I'm interested in this. What and how did you come about that? It's just under my nonprofit, but my brother and the men run that side. So it's similar to Bosker. Okay. But it's the traits that really help young guys get ready to transition into that manhood. So Mm -hmm. it's understanding how you walk into a room, Mm -hmm. knowing your space, how to command the energy in your space, uh, doing stuff in the house. You know, some people, mm-hmm. not everybody's going to go to college. Mm-hmm. Can you get a trade? Are you good with your hands? My father was a construction worker. Mm-hmm. He was excellent with his hands. And so my brother is like that too. Me, I just call him when I need something. That's not <laughs> my space. But for the young men, it's really about understanding your grooming, mm-hmm. how to work in the space, your um, financial literacy as well. So there's a lot of crossover in the programming. But there are certain things that the young men need, and they can only get from the men. So it's under my nonprofit, but it's completely run by the men. Oh, wow. Let's, let's change gears a little bit. You know, you are starting, like I, we, everybody is, we're starting to see growth in the women's game at the college and pro levels. What, in your opinion, have you seen that you've liked? But also, on the other side of it, what still needs to happen? For women to be on equal footing as you know across the board as the men's game so talk about the good but the other side of it what still needs to happen absolutely i think the one of the things that i like is just the growth of the game the mm. being able to see it on tv as readily as you want mm-hmm. uh the personalities of the young ladies good, bad, and indifferent. You know, like it all brings more eyes to the screens for them. Mm-hmm. The opportunities as far as NIL, the ability to play for a coach, your best interest at heart. There's just so many different things that I enjoy for the, for the professional game. I love what, and I, I'm going to go ahead and admit I'm biased, what the Aces and Mark Davis is doing. Mm-hmm. He shows so much love and respect to the women that have paved the way for the WNBA. What he's doing with his alumni is amazing. Every year he brings them in. Just this year, they got ring replicas and just honoring and giving flowers, like you men- mm-hmm. mentioned earlier. So important. So I love those things. But we still look, we've come so far, but there's so much further that we have to go. Yeah, talk about that. And I think that stems from, you know, we still play in the summertime. And it makes it difficult for the fans to truly connect throughout the year because you see these players for four months. Mm-hmm. And so it's really difficult for them to have that continued you know, relationship. Uh, also, as far as the marketing. Mm. With the marketing, I think uh, enable for the players to be better represented and people to connect with them. They need to be seen as more than just athletes. Mm. And you have stories of young ladies that are mothers. Dierica Hamby had a son a month before the season start, played in every single game. You could bring women to the game that are connected to her that may know nothing about basketball, but want to support her journey. Mm-hmm. There are a number of different aspirations of the women that would be relatable. And I think we just got to figure out a better way to put them in a space where they're more readily marketable. Do you think that when we talk about 
trying to like really enhance you know women in terms of their place talk about your your own like journey it's been great you know do you have any other new business ventures that you want to share that we can look to support you in the future because we 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 love what you're doing and where you've been you know we just want to continue to consume and support you so talk about that a little bit where are you headed as you're continuing to contribute to the trajectory of the women in the post game in a sense you know i tend to stay in my lane and the things that i love are the things that i've always done Done. so i'm all about being an advocate for our sport i'm all about helping young women and girls and figuring out what's next for them I have a program right now. I just did a partnership with the National Police Athletic League where I'm doing a 10 city tour. And the program is called Play Like a Girl, where (laughs) I go to different cities and I'll have five WNBA legends in that city. And we'll do basketball clinics with the young ladies. But we also take, you know, a third of that time to speak with them about building a roadmap to success. We share Mm -hmm. our stories. We talk about what it looks like to be successful. And we share my curriculum that I created about 15 years ago, and it's called the Passion Principles, how to be the exception and not the rule. And in that space, we talk about passion is an acronym. So we talk about perseverance, attitude, sacrifice, setting goals, inner strength, optimism, and never giving up. Mm. How these young ladies can apply that to any aspect of their life in order to be successful. And what's crazy is we share it with the kids and their parents. And I have just as many parents as the kids coming up saying, hey, that really spoke to me. I could apply that in my professional life or my spiritual walk. It's just so Mm -hmm. much that we want to give to them. But it's really about just, you know, creating your own narrative and not letting somebody else write your story, but understanding the ups and downs. You know, it's not like this. And everybody's Mm -hmm. story is different. So it's just really nice to have five different women that have played the game. And when we each tell our story, it's so different, but we all made it. So just letting Mm -hmm. them know that if it's their aspiration, they can do it too. But that's not the only thing that they can do. Wow. I love that. That's a great acronym too. Super strong. We are doing something at Pro to CL and the University of Florida, which is the Pro to CL report. And we were able to send you an early release of the report, particularly focused for our first time solely on the women's game, the WNBA, and its success in terms of post-career and current collegiate trends and women's um, transition in sports and business. So I wanted to get your opinion of the report. I know it's still new and it's pretty involved. It's something that we do to research and to really give credence to the post side of the game, to really show examples of former athletes really doing their thing in business and industry. So there's an example out there and it's tracked and it's measured and it's gotten some qualitative, quantitative sort of analysis. So your thoughts on it in general, what do you think about a report that really captures the top 20 or top 10, excuse me, transitions of WNBA WNBA players? What do you think about that? I think it's important because like I spoke about earlier, being a pioneer, when you're doing something that impacts everybody that's coming behind you. So when there are resources, then that means people can come to it to try and figure out how to make it better. Mm-hmm. And especially in the space that I'm in, I can go back and say, hey, per this study 
from pro to CEO. This is happening. <laughs> this is going to greatly impact your ability to be successful after you put the ball down, no matter what space you move into. So I think the more resources we have, the better an opportunity for success after the game is available. Wonderful. I mean, looking at the names on the list, you know, topping the list, Super, then Lisa, then Swin Cash, then Renee Montgomery, Nancy Lieberman, Sylvia Folks, Michelle Marciniak, Rebecca Lobo, Cheryl Swoops, Catch, I can go on and on. What do you think about that in terms of some of the great things they're doing? And is there anything you notice, any trends, themes? that even a, a younger player can glean from or a player who's looking to do something next? What, what do you think about that? Like, I love that they're being tracked because those are the faces of the league. But one of the things that I think should be even more focused on is the non-faces because they're the top 1%. Mm-hmm. So they're easy to find. But to figure out, like I shared earlier, I started the WPBAA because there was a sister who was homeless. How do we figure out how the average player transitions and what they get into? Because those are the amazing stories, but they're still, like I said, the top percent. And there's so many other, like myself, I wasn't, uh, I was a good player. I was a solid player, but I wasn't in the headlines all the time. I wasn't the face Mm -hmm. of the league, but still my ability to transition because I knew relationships were important. Mm -hmm. Whether it was something that I wanted to do or not, I understood the importance of taking that card, following up, you know, experimenting in a space and trying to figure it out. I think it's really important that we look at the others. And uh, who, who says that, Shaq or Charles? One of them says the others. And, mm-hmm. um, but it's really, it's, the information is great because we can follow suit because they have laid the groundwork, but also you get a chance to create your own path and I think just looking at the different opportunities of the women who are not on that top tier would build it out even more. Yeah, and I think that's something that we're we're putting together to try to find out where are they mm-hmm. because there's no way to kind of track that. Where did like yep. I know you and we cross paths professionally, you know, from time to time, and we keep in touch. I knew you went from the Aces to the Sparks. You know, Danita Johnson, she was there at some mm-hmm. point. And, you know, from there, we stay in touch. But overall, that's a really hard thing. And that's something yep. that we're researching to build out a strategy that no matter where you uh, end up, we want to be in touch and we want to make sure that you get the support and the continued development, whether you're doing good or not doing good. There is a value and camaraderie because you lose that. I mean, even Absolutely. me from a business side, you know, working at the league office and being at that elite level, there's a family, you know, a sense of being alumni of something great. And when you walk away from it, man, it, it's hard to get that back. But when you connect back to it, it, it feels like home. Talk about that little part of it. Do you think that that's a huge value for people to really find a home and figure out how to even get that small nuance of camaraderie back. Cause that's, that's hard to find really. Absolutely. And um, when I saw you in Vegas, it was doing the legends getaway and then mm-hmm. it was WNBA all-star. And I got a chance to host a brunch for the women. And we had about 40 women that were in the space and we mm. talked about what we're doing now, the importance 
of our relationships and being able to leverage these things because a lot of people you feel like you just drop off a cliff when you stop mm, playing. Yeah. You know, like if you're not one of the top names, you don't get certain opportunities, you don't get mm-hmm. access to certain things. You yep. kind of get swept, not even swept, you just get kicked out. And so that's the feeling. But once again, as we have those conversations, we understand that we all feel that and we can leverage our relationships and support one another. So with your research, I can help you with contacting those women because I have access to so many having started the Alumni Association and now us being a part of the NBRPA. But one of the things that I think also is important is that that mental piece, Mm -hmm. you know, like you feel like you've lost something and Mm -hmm. it's hard. Like when you've played at the top level of playing a sport and your name is being shouted in these arenas holding 15, Mm -hmm. 20,000 people, you're traveling all over the world doing awesome things just because you love something. When you drop off and have to do something else, it's hard to find, you know, that thrill. You know, you're mm-hmm. looking for that thrill. And what's it going to be? Some people never find it. I mean, mm-hmm. I've been lucky because I find it in helping others. I love being in a space where I could speak life into somebody or help them get to whatever their next best thing is. But not everybody can figure it out because they're so used to that drive on the court. So there's, it's a lot that goes into it. And I definitely think there's, there's room and resources necessary to see these women transition and do even better things. Awesome. So we're going to take it up a notch. We're getting ready to go in one of the last phases of this podcast called the speed round. Okay. We're going at it now, the speed round. I'll ask you a quick question. You give me a quick one word or at least as close to one word as possible. And we can have some fun with it. Ready? Who's your favorite basketball player, male and female? My favorite male basketball player currently, as of late, is Anthony Edwards. I became a fan. Yeah, here recently. Um, Female, Asia Wilson. Oh, amazing. How did I guess you might say that, though? She's a lot of people's favorite. If you didn't play basketball, what sport would you have played? I would have played volleyball. Okay, good. What? is your hidden skill most people don't know about? I am a phenomenal cook. Mm, what's your favorite meal? What's your go-to? What's your slam dunk? Um, anything Italian, but I'm also a master griller. Okay, you got two superpowers cooking. All right, what's your favorite workout or what was your favorite workout as a female athlete? I loved weightlifting. Oh, okay. Throwing it up. Mm-hmm. Putting that weight on there. All right. Uh, invisible or super strength? What would you say is your your word? I would say invisible. Okay. What's a book you've always recommended to athlete or aspiring professional? The 48 Laws of Power. What is your go-to karaoke song? If I got me a duet, it's Method Man and Mary J. Blige. All that I need. <laughs> what is the best advice you've ever received? From my mom. She told me that I was more than enough just to be me. Mm. What's your proudest professional accomplishment so far? My proudest professional accomplishment, being one of the first women to play in this league. And what was your favorite country to play and live in when you played basketball? There's no place like home, but I loved being in Italy. Okay, great answer. Safe response, too. Keep it close to home. Thank you for being in the speed round. Now, we want to close and in close, we want to support you. We want to talk to you and continue to be around you. So how do we follow you, Rusha? How do we 
continue to do? You have a book. Are you on a speaking tour? Should we be giving to certain foundations? Give us a little bit of that so we can continue to be supportive of you and your future endeavors. Thank you so much for that opportunity, Kevin. My nonprofit is Servcom, and you can find me at servcom.org, S-E-R-V-C-O-M.org. All donations are welcome. That's how I get a chance to serve my community and the young ladies that I work with. Mm-hmm. You can find me on social media, Rusha B on Instagram, Rusha Brown on Facebook, Twitter, or X, whatever <laughs> else is going on. Yeah. Um, and just my, my website also is RushaBrown.com. So I am easy to find. I'm very responsive. LinkedIn as well. So all those ways you can find me and support. But definitely any organizations that want to support and donate and have an impact in the community, I'm your person. Find us at surfcom.org. And she is amazing. I can tell you she is more than this podcast could ever do. She shows up. She shows out. She brings 100%. And more than that, she's just a really down-to-earth person. The person you're seeing is truly one of the people that I admire in this business because she's been able to really show wherewithal time after time after time and still continue to be one of those names that everybody loves in this industry. When you hear people's name, you just light up. She's one of those. So I'm 100% big fan. We'll always be, and we will support you. With that being said, thank you, thank you, thank you, Rusha Brown, for being on the hit show today. And the University of Florida thanks you. We would love to stay in touch, and we're going to do that. And the hit show should be saved and downloaded. So please hit that like, hit the download, because we love to share what people do and what people have done in order to become super skilled. And one of the most underrated skills, which is the skill to transition. So we want to say... Thank you to this platform on Athlete Plus and the University of Florida and the Institute of Coaching Excellence, which is part of the College of Health and Human Performance at the University of Florida. I'm Kevin Carr, and I'm the host of the show. But in closing, we want to let you know at Protocea, we're here to help the transition sports and entertainment and sport at the amateur, collegiate and pro level. So however we can help your career or business transition, we are here to help you. Now, our show does not end without our guest doing the signature outro. Rusha, please take it away. Hey, I'm Rusha Brown, and you've listened to me on The Hit Show. That's awesome, and it is a wrap. Follow us at the University of Florida as well as at the Pro to CL. Thank you for having been on the show, Rusha, and we're going to continue to uplift and support you and your endeavors. Thank you. This podcast is a production of Athlete Plus, the people, stories, and science behind elite athletes and teams. Athlete Plus is the official podcast network of the Institute for Coaching Excellence, a research, education, and outreach center in the College of Health and Human Performance at the University of Florida. The Institute for Coaching Excellence offers various online certificate programs and degrees in partnership with the Department of Sport Management. Learn more today at coaching.hhp.ufl.edu.